Hey and welcome back, this is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by the usual panel this week. First, he is the platforming prodigy, he's Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this week? I am here committed to spend the next 90 minutes talking about the new Limp Bizkit album, if you boys. I was just going to say, how have you not put that on the heat for this week? <laughs> Uh, I, well, you know, my, my first thoughts aren't about, hey, what's the music I've been listening to yeah. this week? So, you know. Um, I gotta I gotta say, like, you weren't exaggerating. I had forgotten. I had told you guys the album was coming out and then completely forgot. And then uh, uh, you said that he says DJ Lethal straight away. And I was like, I turned on the first track. I went in 30 seconds. You got the two Fred Durst staples of saying DJ Lethal. And then the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It it is like going back to two thousand and one, isn't it? It's it really is. It is unbelievable. And let me tell you, if you're wondering what Fred Durst thinks about the haters, do I have the album for you? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just been interesting though. Like I really feel like we've come full circle because there are elements of significant other that you do enjoy unironically, but there are some songs in that that I sorry that you enjoy ironically but he does have a number of tracks that uh i would enjoy unironically like i think end together now is just a fucking great song yeah um and then obviously hot dog fucking chocolate starfish nonsense is is a pure you really can only enjoy that on an ironic level or if you're still 13 years old and you have or you yeah. have that nostalgic tinge at that point and then after yeah. that it clearly goes downhill but and obviously fucking Gold Cobra is pure. You can only enjoy it on an ironic level because that album yeah. is actually trash for the most because part. Because the, the, the Gold Cobra began to eat its own, eat its own tail. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like when you got Fred Durst talking about his alias fucking polar bear, like what are we doing? But uh, this album is just, it's just a fucking good time. You know? Is, is it also the first track where he's making chocolate starfish references again? Uh, oh, very early in the album. I believe oh, yeah. the I believe the line is chocolate on a starfish. Everybody yeah. kiss it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the the key thing that I took away, like I, I've the the song I've listened to the most has been "Turn It Up, Bitch," and I was like, this is a Tony Hawk's Two song. <laughs> like I want to play Tony Hawk's Two with this on in the background. Even the name, even the name. Joining joining us also, you've you've heard his voice already. He is a redneck fucker from Jacksonville. It's Jack Lazell. Yeah. Um... I'm here to ask you, uh, can you rip shit? Can you rip like a dirty rotten biscuit? Is is my question. <laughs> I said I could see his phone out and I was like, he's almost certainly looking up lyrics. Oh I, yeah. <laughs> I had to. I uh I, Are you I, saying you haven't memorized them in the six days since the album came there out? There is a couple that I that I'd uh, memorized, but yeah, the, the 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 turn it up bitch is one that I particularly enjoy. Um but yeah. Banger, <laughs> another limp banger out of the closet and off the hanger is a particular the thing that terrifies me, though, is the fact that Gold Cobra is 10 years old. Like, I thought it was at the, the latest about seven years ago. Um, but the idea that, that that album is a decade old just, it put the fear in me. It really did. Is it because you were reminded recently that Fred is the Don Julio who is fucking up your studio? I mean, I already knew that. I didn't, I didn't need a new album to be aware of that. I see. Yeah. But yeah, Limp Bizkit. Yeah, twenty twenty one. I think, I think if, if anybody wants to understand the very essence of Limp Biscuit, they have only to listen to the song "Snacky Poo," and it will tell them everything they need to know. <laughs> That's a fifty year old man writing the song title for that song. 
This yeah. is not. I I'm certain this is not the only link to the cast that has featured heavy biscuit dip discord. Not a chance. Not yeah. there's at least there was been definitely, five. We definitely in 2016. Do you remember there was that week or two where the two of us just started listening to Chocolate Starfish again because. Uh, we had that conversation about like there's no way do I remember the lyrics to sure, yeah. <laughs> some of the songs and I was like stick that bitch on I, I have <laughs> I have absolutely at least once in the lifetime of this podcast said the lyrics one two three shut the fuck up yeah yeah, yeah, but did you guys know that Freddie D gone whip us up a batch you ain't forgetting? He's bringing out the fixings, <laughs> too many emissions, and lethal turn it up because we burning up your kitchen. This is the thing, like, are we, we're, like, ahead of the curve here, guys, because... I, I, like, or severely yeah. behind no. the curve. We're severely behind the curve, but also ahead of the curve okay. because we kind of appear to be reaching critical mass for '90s nostalgia at the moment. So 2000s nostalgia is coming round the corner, surely. Oh, I can't wait for that Hoobastank reunion. Bring oh, it on. Which means you know, new metal two, two metal is on the way. <laughs> two metal, two metal is 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 too good to not have someone do that. Um, yeah. I think. Lim- are, you, are, you, are you like are you renaming some of the bands for like are you going you know grandpapa roach i see yeah i mean if, if you want to start doing that like just have uh, what like old man new metal bands i i really don't need the resurgence of the likes of a fucking puddle of mud yeah. and a stained yeah. all right yeah, it's bad it's the first time around puddle of mud is more like puddle of piss now because yeah. old or like slightly stinking you're going park. from limp biscuit to if your biscuit is stiff for more than four hours consult a gp yeah exactly yeah yeah um i can't wait i i, I welcome our two metal overlords i i personally feel like i would love to do a 20 minute um youtube explainer intellectualizing limp biscuit yeah because i think i get a lot of hits from that who guys who are the new metal mount rushmore I mean, Biscuit and Park, Lincoln, Limp Biscuit, yeah. Lincoln Park yeah. are on yeah. there. I think Park are the only ones that like uh, sustained any modicum of respect. Well, I mean, <laughs> over you, the years, you say that, but I mean, they went in a, a pretty drastic direction yeah. after album number two. Yeah, they're the only ones that really like pivoted. Well, no, I, I would say Papa Roach pivoted as well, but they just got significantly worse. Yeah. <laughs> pivoted into a bin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> still technically a pivot. Yeah, like, that, yeah. That, bin, that bin was the the discount bin at your local fucking gas station. Mount um, Rushmore of new yeah. metal. It's, it's, I, it's, corn it's has new to be metal, on there. I guess. Corn yeah. has to be on there. Yeah, corn it's new metal. So I guess people would say that like uh, no one was able to ever pivot out of the bin. In some ways, but, but yeah, corn, corner definitely. And, and the other one, I have to say, even though I think it's probably oversimplification to call them new metal, it's System of Down, right? Well, I mean, because I was going to make that same case, but for Deftones. Uh, yeah, I think Deftones have. I, I mean, they really only had like one or two songs that sort of fit into that familiar pair of slippers that is the new metal genre. Whereas, in fairness, in terms of rap metal, they only really had like one song where they actually rapped, and Chino hates that song. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas I think System of a Down, System of a Down, kind of. So new metal is really all about genre mash, right? And yeah. the diff- the difference is that 
two yeah. great tastes taste great together. Yeah, the difference is that they were mashing metal up with like Armenian folk music, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which you could like imagine if there's like an eighteen, twenty year old listening to this podcast who wasn't around for new metal and hasn't like listened back and is just hearing that explanation for the first time. Yeah, I, I genuinely think the first time I heard Chop Suey, my eyes just bulged out of my skull. Like, what yeah. in the name of hell is this song? Um, and just generally, I think System of a Down, even though, like I say, they don't, they're, they're sort of bedfellows of new metal, but they're not really yeah. full, like what you would, ex- like the obnoxious level of new metal. That, like, Limp Biscuit is the most new metal of the new metal, yeah. isn't it? Like, it, mm. I, it as I kind of weirdly like Fred Durst for kind of what he is, which is, you know, sort of like a, a redneck a, fucker from Jackson. He's a redneck. He likes rap. You know, he's kind of a liberal guy. He seems like he might be all right to hang out with, but he is. I would ge- be absolutely fond of him being my dad. I'll say that much. <laughs> no, you wouldn't, Mark. No, you really like you want to talk about embarrassing dads. Although if he is actually your dad, can we please do like a live twitch stream of the two of you like reconnecting that, <laughs> i mean you know what like in terms of age difference he's he's around that yeah it yeah, could yeah. it could make sense he just pops on the zoom son <laughs> <laughs> um i mean okay so, a second so he's th- he's 51 you're 33 so yeah. legitimately he was 18 years old when you were like Fred Durst could genuinely be your dad. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I tell you what, it's a very weird concept thinking of Fred Durst ever being 18. <laughs> I would imagine he just looked because he hasn't really changed. The good thing about being bald, right, is that you just don't change the way you look. Like your hair doesn't yeah. go great. You, have, you haven't got hair. And you wear yeah. the same fucking hat. For- <laughs> the good thing about being bald is you, well, you don't have hair. Well, yeah. But like, you don't have that worry. <laughs> Pretty root one. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. you don't have that. And that is an advantage, right? So he just wears that same fucking backwards hat the whole time. Jobs are yeah. good. And, you know, I, I don't think his trousers have got any tighter. He's probably still wearing like over large t-shirts or whatever. I, I, I just think time probably hasn't really affected yeah. Fred Durst. And I'd imagine he's very rich. Certainly hasn't lyrically anyway. Something in my line of work I found myself doing now, speaking of like that very, very specific cultural moment of the early 2000s, uh, something I found myself doing, because obviously I work with teenagers a lot, is having to apologize for my time that I grew up in because these young people are like at the age now where they're going back and they're discovering all this shit for the first time. And I am absolutely mortified when they ask me to explain why something was popular. <laughs> so I have had to explain and apologize for new metal in the past you this don't week. you do not have to apologize for that you oh, stand up for think, it no, <laughs> it, well, no. It, it also depends on what they bring to the table like if they bring static x you're like yeah static yeah. x pretty cool if they bring like creed which i i guess isn't new metal but they're of yeah. that era and are about as horrendous as it gets yeah, uh, I this the reason that came to mind was because this week uh, we were talking about like so Halloween has obviously just happened, uh, and like they know I'm a big movie buff, so they were asking me like, oh, what movies were you watching over Halloween? So I was listing some of them out, and uh, one of the girls just goes, oh yeah, I watched a, a a movie there on Netflix last week, and I had a feeling I knew where this was going because I knew it recently got uh, the series recently got added to Netflix. She goes, yeah, I watched Scary Movie. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I was just, I stopped her right there and I said, I am so sorry. And I was like, I, cause I, I don't know if I mentioned that on this show or if it was on Days of Thunder where I, 
oh it was on Days of Thunder because we did Scream on that um, and Scream is st- Scream still slaps by the way don't be worried about that um, but as part of doing that episode I rewatched Scary Movie the first one and holy shit how it was physically possible that I ever even chuckled at anything in that movie and that's the best one in the series yeah like it gets like exponentially worse after that and then how many other of those parody movies I was gonna say like like, disaster movie and superhero movie yeah just 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 painfully unfunny like how are these things getting made quite possibly the worst genre of film and that's produced by the airplane guys it's like what the fuck happened like what the fuck happened to you? Yeah, they also did basketball, which is a great yeah. underrated comedy of the late nineties. Yeah, but oh my god, yeah, like just like it wasn't scary and it wasn't funny, and it was just like, but it was also amazing. Like, listen to them go. Like, there was a couple of bits that they didn't realize were supposed to be jokes of parodies because, like, they haven't. Like, you know the way, even if you you haven't seen Scream, people in our age group could probably pretty much write out the exact plot of Scream start to finish because it was such, like, it was so omnipresent when yeah. we were growing up. Um, So, these young people who are coming to watch a scary movie don't know the scenes or the movies that are being parodied. Um, So, they're explaining, if you remember how Scary Movie starts, it's a recreation like a parody of the Drew Barrymore cold opened scream, except it's with Carmen Electra. And the thing that really I had to sit down and take a break was that one, they had no idea. Like this is one of the most famous horror movie scenes in years, this cold open with Drew Barrymore. Like we can all visualize it in the big jumper and the, the, the blonde hair with the popcorn and the, you know, do you like scary movies and shit like that? So one, the kid didn't know that this is like, this was what was being parodied and two inexplicable to people our age had no fucking idea who Carmen Electra was Uh, I tell you what I guess I think a few people might know who she is now because of The Last Dance right so anybody that watched The Last Dance yeah because she's in The Last Dance like a couple episodes where Rodman just decides to go to Vegas randomly in the middle of the season Um, also if you get to the point where Rodman gets onto um She's actually gas on that as an interview. She's, she's brilliant, yeah. She's yeah, having yeah. a great time. Um, she's she's She seems like, again, I haven't seen a lot of media or interviews with her in recent years, but she seems very, very self-aware about everything. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, when, when Michael Jordan, like, caught her in bed with Dennis Rodman and she was just, like, hiding behind the covers, it was, it was a funny story of, like, the recreation. You just imagine that moment. You're, like, literally the most famous man in the world is walking into your room and you're just, like, completely nude under some covers. Bizarre. <laughs> I like how we've gone full circle from new metal to Dennis Rodman in terms of things that are absolute nonsense. I mean, so, I, I was just going to say to Dave, if you get to the point in Days of Thunder where Big Rod Rodzilla's on the on the program, you need to get me the fuck on the show because I I, <laughs> I need to comment on that right now. He's got, I think, his last match uh, is Road Wild '99, which is about, I think, six months in real time away. Right, you book, uh, you, from you, us covering it. You book that in right now, son. Um. There was what I was going to say, like, do you, when you said, do you know what I think they know Carmen Electra from? I was like, why is there like a renewed popularity for her MTV reality show, her and Dave Navarro getting married? Remember oh, that? God, oh, yeah. Jesus. 
Do you remember them doing the the wedding in? I'll never forget how grim this was. Like the wedding invite was, um, they did a photo shoot for the wedding invites that was them as corpses. Yes, like yes. with toe tags and all in a morgue. Dave Navarro looks like someone who should have been in a new metal band. You know, he doesn't look like someone that would have been an alternative guitarist for Red Hot Chili Peppers in the mid nineties. He kind of loved... ended up in Jane's Addiction at the tail end of new metal, and they were sort of making more new metal leaning kind of stuff. Uh, I guess, but still, like you know, they're they're not they're nowhere near no, the, no, no, the no. ilk of new metal. Oh, know? of course not. But that that album when they sort of came back and Navarro was on guitar uh, and stuff. A couple of riffs. But and they had like Just Because. That was yeah. kind of, it wasn't a new metal song, but it was new metal adjacent, I would say. Mm, I, this is a conversation for another time, I guess. Do, do you know what two MTV shows I want to see? Not remade. I want to see them just rerun the old ones because of how funny I imagine they are now. Uh, do you remember the one, um, there was the show where they basically get a bunch of dorks to recreate a music video? It's like, I remember they did, like, there was these super uh, dorky uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers fans that recreated the Suck My Kiss video. Oh, God, no. No, yeah, oh my no God, I've it's, never heard oh, of that show. Oh, it's I'm great. sure it's terrible. Like, it's, oh, it's horrendous, yeah. but it's great. And then the other one where it was like... Um, they'd get, like, some celebrity to come in and mentor somebody, like a teenager, to achieve their life goals, like, basically be their life coach in this thing, which I, I, I only, I'm almost certain Kurt Angle was on an episode um, because somebody wanted to be, or like, an, uh, like an amateur but also professional westler. Um, so I want those shows to come back. Did also he- Cribs, obviously. Cribs but was all great. The old- all the old episodes of Cribs, because I yeah. know the US MTV kind of brought Cribs back. Old Cribs is yeah. what I want. Old, old Cribs, uh, Pimp My Ride was fantastic. Not the UK version, yeah. the American version. There's a couple of really cheesy reality, like the tra- big shots at Westwood. Yeah, tra- oh, he's an absolute clown. Um, <laughs> absolute peace. I got a story about Tim Westwood. Funnily enough, right? Yeah. So. Um, I, I used to work at Saints. Can I just say, this is an all-time great banter section for me. <laughs> I am have, I'm having a fucking blast. I used to work with a guy at um, at Sainsbury's when I was a teenager. I had a job at Sainsbury's. And was it fucking Tim Westwood? It, unfortunately not, no. But it was a guy, and he was getting his HGV license, right, at the time. And um, he was, like, working on it and stuff during the week and working at the weekends with, with, with us a lot. And he goes, he goes, oh, see if this, say, this story has the same effect on you, right? So I'd, I'd not gone to breakfast with everyone that day for whatever reason. I don't know. I, I was busy, right? And he told the story to the entire canteen that while he was out driving with his HGV, somebody had swerved into him, right? So it wasn't his fault. Like, he said, I was lucky I had my instructor there, all of this sort of stuff. Someone had swerved into it, like, and, and he'd absolutely, like, written off the, the Jeep, yeah? And it was like yeah. a big Jeep. So he says he gets out of the lorry and this guy gets out of the Jeep and he's like, he's dressed like a fucking 12 year old, but he looked about 40. And I thought, what's this guy looking at? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and then like, it turns out the person whose Jeep that he crashed into was Tim Westwood or rather Tim Westwood had swerved into him trying to take an exit off of a motorway too quickly. And he'd absolutely yeah. totaled it. So he goes, when I told the story this morning, instead of everyone going, oh, was he all right? Everyone just went, oh, you hit Tim Westwood. And he got a round of applause in the canteen <laughs> for, for writing off Tim Westwood's Jeep. 
<laughs> and he said, like, he was speaking to him like Tim Westwood, like, yeah, dog, no problem. Just let me take your details. That'll be fine. And he said, like, he actually speaks like that. He actually sounds like that. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, describe to listeners who may not be aware of what Tim Westwood actually looks like. He looks like he looks like Snoop Dogg if he was a tall white um, newspaper salesman from Slough, basically. He, he looks like the protagonist from a comedy movie that would absolutely not hold up now about like a dad who gets hit on the head and thinks he's a gangster rapper. Yes, he is. He is the embodiment of Offspring's Pretty Fly for a white guy in human yeah. form. God, uh, yeah, yeah. And to be like, to be fair. You know, Offspring were clowning on that type of guy years before Tim Westwood was prominent on television over here. So, like, it was already absolutely naff, and then he showed up. Yeah, Um, and he's just, like, he was absolutely astounded that everybody, instead of, like, showing any concern for Tim Westwood, just gave him a round of applause for writing off his car. So, uh, yeah, that's Mm. why... That's my weird by association Tim Westwood story. However bad you might think new metal is or was, Tim Westwood is that much worse. Yeah, I mean he had an insanely influential um, hip hop show though. It's just I like, don't understand why he has no talent. BBC, like the two guys they got in to do hip hop stuff on the BBC were like him, and then after him some like other like ridiculously obnoxious white guy called Charlie Sloth. I was really hoping you was going to say just pull out a random name like Kevin Bacon or fucking Jamie yeah. Feakston. They got they got former Blue Peter presenter Richard Bacon to be the hip hop. Richard Bacon, that's who I was thinking. Impresario, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would listen to Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Bacon's, Bacon's rap yeah. show. Kevin Bacon, the six degrees of rap with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, oh. I, I I would listen to that. Uh, what were right, you even lads. doing it? <laughs> oh, mate. Oh, mate. I'm I'm fucking. Lo- this is solid gold cast to me. I, I like. We are appealing to a very niche audience, but I'm having it. Yeah, yeah that would be the three, three of us. us. Yeah, yeah. It's the yeah, most yeah. masturbatory <laughs> opening to a link to the yeah. past in history. Yeah, yeah. At least eighty percent of the people who would like this are on the show. <laughs> um, right, gents. Um, what have we been watching? Um. Let's go with uh, Jack, because you don't have any overlap with, with either of us. No, I don't. Um, so I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I'd been watching the morning show. I'd watched the first series all the way through and then the first couple of episodes of season two. Um, and, and we are nearing the end of season two of the morning show. And it is fantastic. Every single week I'm on tenterhooks waiting for that episode to drop. So the last episode that aired today, um, without giving anything away, there is a death of a pretty major character that they just bang dropped at the end of last week's episode in a spot that you just really, really weren't expecting it to happen. Um, they Game of Thrones it, basically. And it just, like, I mean, my eyes were popping out of my skull thinking, oh my God, I've got to wait till this next episode. And then today was like the aftermath, the fallout to all of this stuff and how it affects all of the other main characters that aren't dead, obviously. And it's just, it's just a really brilliant drama show. And I feel like nobody else really watches it that I know. Um, any listeners who listen to the morning show, please tweet at Jack Claytel and uh, <laughs> make 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 a Twitter space, and we can have a good old chat about it. And um, like, I've, I've been trying to get people to watch the show, because I think it's really genuinely brilliant. And they were doing a strange job with the character of this person because this person had been involved in like a really rough scenario in the first series and they were almost trying to rehab the character, 
but at the same time still showing you enough of the ugly side of the character that even though the person was making a, a journey, you could you still don't like the person, you know? I, I feel like sometimes shows do that too much where they like have a main character do something genuinely abominable. Um and then you just they try and make you feel for them. But like every now and then there's just like a even if it's a five, ten second slip back into that old scumbag. And in the last episode there was like a proper like thirty second all this, you know, po-faced uh, um, seriousness that this character had changed themselves into uh, just disappeared for 30 seconds and they had a good old rant and you were like, oh, there's the absolute prick that I recognise. Um, and yeah, they just dropped literally complete right turn out of nowhere This the, the death of this character and then everyone just trying to deal with it and what, what it means to the series. And it's just so gripping. And I'm really... I'm really just trying to appeal to people to watch this show, not just because I want someone to talk about it with, but because it's really good. And I don't know if it's just me, because I kind of felt the same way about Ted Lasso, where I was enjoying it so much. And I feel like it took the world a while to catch up with me because it's on Apple TV and that's kind of awkward for a lot of people. But everyone got there eventually. And I feel like everyone should get there with the morning show because the character acting in that show is really great. What, what platform is it on? Apple TV. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if that's partially the reason why not a lot of people are talking about it. Because sh- I, I don't sure. think that... Because obviously it is Apple, but I, I that's not what it feels like the go-to platform people use to watch content on. No. Um, it's part of Apple's subscriptions. So you can get Apple uh, Music, all of that stuff, video, all of that thrown in now for like 15 quid a month. So it's, it's basically like you've got their version of Netflix... Um, there's like a new Tom Hanks series, I think, that dropped today on there. And you've got Ted Lasso and you've got The Morning Show and a couple of other bits and pieces that are really good. And then you get Apple Music and then like the Apple Fitness stuff that all comes in and Apple Arcade as well. It's all like part of one bundle for 15 quid, which is pretty good if you've got an Apple device or several if you're me. Um, and I have exactly zero, so it's <laughs> kind of a problem. Big but same. It's, it's a thing where um, I think Maria would probably enjoy it because um, she... You know, she always has a hankering for new shows and new content to watch. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying you should find a way to watch it, but I hear that there are ways of watching things when you don't have subscriptions, (laughs) allegedly, that exist. Speaking uh, of things that we established around 2001, yeah. (laughs) Yes. What does Sean Fanning have to say on the subject of the morning show? I wonder. But yeah, watch the show. The show is very good. And I, I don't think it's just me. I do think it's a very good show. Cool. Um, Mark, you and me have seen Doom. Yeah. Now, I know what your letterboxed review of this film is, uh, and mine is not quite the same. So I'm going to let you take the floor first, and then I'll come in with some of my points, because I know that my points will be slightly different in some areas. So, like, I suppose the big... um The big uh, opening caveat for me is that, like, for both of the films I'm talking about this week, I am extremely into the director's shit. Uh, I am. I I think I talked about him a few weeks ago when we were looking forward to Dune coming out. Like, I fucking love Denis Villeneuve. Um, I I have been championing Arrival on this podcast and to anyone that will listen for a long, long time. I think we all... Uh, enjoyed the Blade Runner sequel. I, Blade Runner is the oh, only film of his that I've seen, but I loved it. Oh, dude, you would fucking love Sicario. 
Sicario is uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sicario is fucking badass, man. Um, right, I'll put that on the list. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm really into his shit. Um, I have a soft spot for the David Lynch Dune. Uh, you are the I'm, only I'm, one. Oh no, no, I'm not the only one. Like I, I know it. It's against the grain and the grand scheme of things, but there's definitely like a you and David Lynch. There's like a bubble of people and who do really like it. Now I'm like I, I fully am aware of what it is. You know what I mean? Like I'm not saying that this is like a putting it anywhere near on the pedestal that like the fucking Elephant Man or a Razor Head or Blue Velvet or fucking almost a Mulholland Drive, almost anything he's ever done, let alone in the history of cinema. But I I've always had a bit of a soft spot for it. Um I like a lot of the the actors that were cast for this, so I was like quite excited for it. Uh, anyway coming out and I love like big dense massive scale sci-fi movies that don't absolutely fucking hand an explanation to everything on a silver platter to you straight away Um, very much in the old style of doing things sci-fi wise which again is something I would have expected from Villeneuve um and yeah, I just had a rip-roaring time watching this. I think, like, characteristic of his films, the fucking, um, the sound design in terms of, like, the actual soundtrack to the movie is fucking great. The Hans Zimmer score is unbelievable. Like, it's it manages to be both, like, otherworldly and very ethereal at the same time. And I don't know how, again... I'm not a fucking composer by any stretch of the imagination, but even, like, within the limited knowledge I have of of movie scores as a listener and a fan, I have no fucking idea how you rock that, walk that tightrope for the two-plus hours of this movie. Hans and it, Zimmer, pretty good composer. Impressive. Yeah. I think, like, it's fucking sumptuously shot. Um, and I, I think it really made me think a lot about how Marvel movies are shot by comparison because people say that, like, obviously the DC movies have the, like, little to no colour palette whatsoever. It's all washed out, uh, except for the couple of movies where they don't, like, you know, the the Aquamans or the movies where they panic and add a bunch of colour in post-production. Um, but I find the like the color grading and the way dune is shot it's both like not so colorful to a point of ridiculousness but also it manages to have a like a very like almost tangible quality to it while not feeling washed out or too grainy or anything like that i think it feels weird to say, and I've seen it said in a bunch of podcasts and reviews about Dune, is like, I've never fucking seen sand look this gorgeous. And there is obviously a fucking lot of sand in in this movie because, of you know, it, Arrakis is fucking Dune. Um, I think uh, our good friend Stellan Skarsgård, uh, a.k.a. Stellar, Stellar Skateboards, Skateboards yeah. Yeah, is fucking incredible as Baron Harkonnen. Like, just a chilling presence in it um i love oscar isaacs i think he's in incredible as leto atreides 
Um, can I just I'm say? Not- can I just say about Oscar Isaac? One of the great yeah. beards in cinema history. Just just a very sexy man. Yeah. Uh, I have <laughs> no problem saying it. There are some very, very, very sexy, sexy men sexy in this man. film. Yeah. Really oh. just, you know. I am I am not I don't know what it is. I wonder is it one of my things where like periodically whether it's an actor or a footballer or something like that I just hate their face and can't enjoy them. But Nesta. I I am not usually a Cabernese is my one. Oh is it Cabernese not Nesta? No, I lo- I love I love I love Nesta. Okay. Um I'm usually not a Chalamet guy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, when I went to see uh, Little Women, every time he showed up on the screen, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, just a very punchable face. Um, but I, I, I really liked him in this. I thought, like, it, he was the one role that was, like, cast, and I was like, ooh, this feels like a bit of kind of strike while the iron's hot casting as opposed to pick somebody that would be perfect. The, the thing I with him... fully say I'm wrong. The thing with him, because I was thinking about this as well before I went to see it, is, like, it, it from... There was an aspect in the trailer that had me concerned that he was going to be a little bit too much of this kind of, like, mopey... Not woe is me, but just very like I don't know. Guys, it's just like, French. Like that's just so, I guess that, like a kid who'd be listening to New Metal in two thousand and one in some degree, but just very fucking yeah. mopey he, and whatnot. He, he, he and just, it's not there at all. He's just French. Like that's just like yeah. that sort of effervescent, like I don't really give a shit kind of natural. Sitting in a hammock all day eating soft cheeses. Yeah, exactly. Like that is very much his sort of default, and I, it, it works for. Him. Have you seen Call Me by Your Name, either of you? I've not yeah. known. As John Mulaney once said, call me by your name, more like fuck me by Act 3. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But he was awesome in that movie. Like He was yeah. really good. And he doesn't play that sort of... I'm definitely not worth dwelling on anybody else who was in that movie. No, whatsoever. there was another guy. Be a cannibal. <laughs> there was another guy in there. Something happened. Yeah. Oh, God, that makes one yeah. of the scenes in that movie super uncomfortable. The, the yeah. other, thing, the other yeah. thing as well with him is like you look at the, the rest of the cast in that film. Like That is an all-star cast cast and it would be very easy yeah. for him to yeah. just be pushed to the side because of how yeah. no he's a great actor yeah, he is again, he is he's and he commands again, the screen in it again like uh even though he's in a tiny role in a denny Villeneuve film as he was in blade runner 2047 um big dave fucking big dave is great for the little bit you get of him he's really good like everybody is so good in this uh like zendaya for the little while i had forgotten that javier bardem was in this huge pop when javier bardem showed up yeah um so yeah i really like i loved it i'll be going back to see it in the cinema i want to try and see this shit in imax if i can because i am i would recommend it's a fucking yeah it's a fucking knockout like it's a knockout on a standard local cinema screen so i can only imagine with an imax screen and that like bump in sound quality Funnily as well, enough, it's it looks outrageous. real good i will say um maybe it's because my ears are knackered at this point but that score in imax nearly wrecked my fucking ears at points so yeah yeah <laughs> uh be warned um yeah i don't know if i have a lot more to to add to it like i think i don't think it's the kind of sci-fi movie that's necessarily like much like the the universe around it i don't think it's necessarily for everyone it's a very seminal sci-fi text but it's like heavy on the like the politics and people talking in nice looking rooms as opposed to the let's hop in spaceships and fucking blast the shit out of each other and blow up the Death Star and shit. Um, so it, it 
in terms of like what the movie is about, it won't be for everybody. And people that are going in to just watch a kind of popcorn space movie are going to find themselves massively confused in the first 45 minutes to an hour. It ain't Star Wars. It isn't, yeah, there's no big, like, text crawl at the start. There's, like, maybe, is it, like, a 25, 30-second voiceover at the start? Something like that, that, yeah. That basically just explains who House Atreides, the Harkonnens, and... Uh, what Arrakis is and that's fucking it everything else uh, everything else about the expanded universe so far is picked up through subtext and dialogue Um, so it won't it's not a switch off your brain sort of movie I'm not saying that like it's fucking intellectual art house cinema or anything like that but it is a bit more of a like pay attention sort of uh, sci-fi movie than your average fare. But I I loved it to bits, uh, only to be topped possibly by the other movie I saw. But first, we'll get your takes on on this. Yeah, I mean, so in terms of the the cinematography, obviously, and having seen it in IMAX, it is unbelievable, which I expected, if nothing else, from this film. uh, Again, because of of Blade Runner, which is still one of my favourite films visually. Um, I love how practical it is with its shots. Um, and, yeah. you know, you're speaking there a little bit about uh, with with uh, DC and, and Marvel. And, there, you know, there has been an over-reliance in terms of CGI and, and that kind of thing. And even, you know, like the, the new Cowboy Bebop, the, the trailer for that, um, it's so just like, you know, this is all just shot in a studio, you know. Um, and yeah. th- there are practic- practical benefits of doing that. I get that. But sometimes it is nice to just see like an actual fucking desert, you know, not just a sound studio with just a bit of sand on the floor. So all of that, uh, yeah, I I am complete in agreement with. I love how big every scene is, regardless of whether they're inside or outside, you know, like all of the the interior is just, it's huge. they're like I don't know this for a fact, but I would be almost certain they shot some of this in Ireland. Like the Atreides homeworld scenes look like coastal Ireland. Uh, I think it was Norway. I was looking at the credits. Oh, I, I, the, the credits said Norway, so yeah. I'm, I, I'd be confident it was there. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, my two main issues, and one of them probably can't be helped, is that for a fair bit of the film, I didn't really know what the fuck was going on because of how dense it is. Um, If you don't come in beforehand knowing what is going on, because you've got these different words and names that you have no kind of pre-context for other than that short bit of of dialogue at the start, it's just you're getting, you know, like, wait, who are they talking about again? Are they the good guys? Are they the bad guys? So for a good kind of first hour of the film, I, you know, I could kind of follow along what was going on visually, but in terms of what was actually being said, I was a bit unsure about what actually the fuck was going on at points. Um, so again, I don't know how much of that can be helped. Like, I don't really think Dune is a film you can dumb down to, to the point that you can make it easily digestible. So, um, that, that is what it is. I'm I'm not going to critique the film too much for that. The one issue that I've had, and I don't know if this was an IMAX thing or it's a me thing, but I also for a fair bit of the film really struggled to understand what they were saying and not just in terms of what the the actual words i just couldn't hear it because they were either whispering there was background noise or you know like the fucking hans zimmer uh, soundtrack blasting through as well and i really just like i don't i can't actually hear what they're saying and yeah. again i don't know if it's an imax thing or it's a me so- thing but it just like i really wish people would stop whispering in films or talking really low under their breath 
and let me just actually hear what the fuck they're saying. So my guess would be, um, so just like based on like how much I love Arrival, I know that one of uh, Denis Villeneuve's tics is that he likes a, like sensorily overwhelming cinema. You know what I mean? Like because the the score to Arrival is brash and huge when it's there like sometimes it recedes into the background but when those moments strike it is kind of like because there are moments where the score in dune the Hans Zimmer score ramps up so much like you can almost feel it in your chest like it's oh, that yeah. kind of it's big and absolutely bombastic and and shit like that and i wonder because like i now it's a lot close because i think Part of it is our brains are are conditioned that like the 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 level of volume clarity of uh, dialogue over um sound, score it, the gap between the two is usually much much bigger. Um, so I wonder just because he's cranked it up a little bit, is it just harder for some people? I also wonder how much it's down to the individual mixes through the speakers in different cinemas. Like I wonder if you had seen it somewhere else because. I, I know there were moments where the score was still loud, but I, I don't recall a moment where I didn't know what people were saying. But again, that could, like, you know, it, it could be any number of things. It's anyone's guess, really. Like, you remember the... um. The, the 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 most the the most notable instance of this I can think of is Bane and the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, where they had to literally in between previous screenings and when it came out, they went in and, and remixed that, remix, yeah. and it was still a little bit for people. For some people, it was still a little bit because I know some people's you know um you know depending on pitch and stuff like that, they they can pick out voices like clearer or not as clear and things like that so i wonder um if that's an issue i am not a fucking like sound mixing expert by any stretch of the imagination so i couldn't pin it down yeah. for I, you i just i really feel like if i watch the film again i i probably yeah. would want to watch it with subtitles just to make sure nothing yeah. is lost in translation yeah. yeah um and then the one other thing Look, I know it's one. Is it, is it that Oscar Isaacs is too sexy? No, no, no. He he's he could be more sexy, and I'd be fine with that. Um, it's just the no, way he the couldn't. F- well, no, he probably couldn't. It's just the way the film ends. Um, it's you know, I know it's like one part of however many yep. films this ends up being, but it does just kind of end in a like oh, that's kind of a weird place to end. And whatever, it's- like as a collective, sure, yep. I guess it makes sense. Um, I can't speak for other trilogies like The Lord of the Rings because I never watched it's, them. It's Fellowship of the Ring. It's yeah. the, it, like right. it's pretty much the exact where it's like this little incident is over, but the adventure has just begun, sort of thing. Yeah. Like, so there's no it. It doesn't give you the big payoff. It really doesn't because <laughs> it really people, doesn't. People were were saying that like because so it's it, since the movie released theatrically, it's official that Dune Part Two has been greenlit. Yeah. And, you know, it's not really a spoiler because it's all over the fucking internet now. Everybody knows it. But uh, the big surprise is supposed to be when you go see it, it opens and says Dune Part 1 in the opening credits. So, you know, it's just the opening chapter. I think maybe I would have felt 
more kind of on your side if I didn't know that and it only said Dune Part 1 after the what would I would have perceived as a slightly unsatisfying ending because it feels like things are just getting started and then boom credits yeah I mean Um, it feels more like the ending of an episode of a television show than it does a film you know yeah. so some people so. have said like um well they were saying not since it came out but in the build up to production it's like there are like a cadre of people out there who believe who have always believed that dune as an adaptation would be better as a prestige tv show probably um but like i i think like even relative to things like game of thrones and stuff like that to do dune properly is enormously fucking expensive like i think this was a two was it like a hundred and 160 170 million dollars for just chapter one of what is going to be at least a trilogy well you I, know like i said there's six books but i imagine i like six you, you main say books, that but. but i think if they wanted to if if they didn't want to do it in the way that they filmed this film in terms of how practical it is i don't think there's anything there that you couldn't have done in say like the way the mandalorian was filmed you know, yeah. I, I but, think it's totally like, doable, but it's just obviously yeah. visually it would be a completely different yeah. style. And, yeah. And then there's the question of like, would you get all those people like for a T, you know, I know the line between like how well perceived TV is versus movies like also prestige TV yeah. is of a higher reputation. But like, do you get the Oscar Isaacs of the world, uh, the like even the Dave Batistas of the world at this stage, like tied down to multiple years of a television show. I'm not sure. Cause that's what you would need for this. Timothy Chalamet. Absolutely not. Zendaya. Absolutely not. Hey, um, Mark, by the way, if, if you found the fact that a split into two movies exhausted, what makes you want a series of it? Yeah. I, I'm not saying it was, for me as a benefit, like just uh, all I can say is just the, the way that this film ended was not particularly satisfying, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. But at the same time, it also ends in a way that's like, I want more Dune. Oh, of course. Like, I, know, I will absolutely un- go and see the second one. But I, yeah. I think part of that is not so much just because of the way it ends, but just because I really just enjoy watching films that visually that look like that, you know? Oh, absolutely stunning. So, um, yeah. So we move on. Speaking of absolutely visually stunning movies, thank you for that segue, sir. I went as quick as I fucking could to the first screening in my town of Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie. And my dudes, holy fucking shit. I'm going seeing this over the... I reserve the right to bump it up to the full five. Um, I Like, I was going to, and I know our good friend Ian went straight in at five. I was going to, but I was worried that, like, as, that much as, as much as, like, Denis Villeneuve and, like, uh, like loads of the actors in Dune are on my, are my brand of shit, there are very few things that are more my brand of shit than Edgar Wright movies. And, um, you know, we've talked on the show about, um, I know myself and Jack feel this way, as, like, Anya Taylor-Joy is one of my absolute favourite actors in the world right now. I would watch her read the phone book. It would be fucking compelling. Um, So, like, I was worried that my biases were affecting, like, that I'm not, like, I'm not thinking of this rationally. I'm just so excited I saw an Edgar Wright movie in the cinema and immediately went on Letterboxd after and gave it the big four and a half. So I probably, I'm feeling the more I I sit with it this week and think about my experience, I think it's going full five, but I I do, at least it'll give me an excuse to go see it again in the cinema. You know what I mean? Um, It's fucking 
amazing. <laughs> I love it. I just, You're usually oh. so articulate, Dave. Guys, I'm just like, so like, I, I'm trying to think of the things I said in, in uh, when I, I wrote about it on Letterboxd. But like, firstly, again, kind of like Dune, the cast is fucking smashing. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, again, characteristically incredible. Like, such an upsetting amount of talent for somebody so young and somebody so relatively fresh in the scene. Like, I think the Vivitch uh, was, what, 2015-2016? So, like, she's only really been around that long. I think a lot of people have, like, I'm not saying I was an early adopter because I only really started watching her stuff maybe two, two and a half years ago. Um... But I think since Queen's Gambit, everybody is like, holy shit, this, like, she is a force of nature. She's incredible. Um, Thomas and Mackenzie. Oh, my God, she is phenomenal in this movie. Like, I loved her in Jojo Rabbit. Um, she's yeah. been, like, a bit part in a, in a couple of different things. But, like, this is, I, I feel like this is the big coming out party for her as a big deal. Because she is nominally the main character in this. Matt Smith, who, like, I, I must confess, like, I'm not a, big who guy like um so i didn't watch his run as the doctor like i've seen a little bit of um eccleston a little bit of tenant but i'm not like it's only when it's on or when a, a, an episode gets absolutely rave reviews so i've never really watched any matt smith and i can't think of a lot of movies i've seen him in he just kind of pops up randomly in like different places all and, over the and place I don't, I don't watch the crown where he came in as prince philip um but he's fucking brilliant like both as this really like suave charming guy and then as like a genuinely like menacing intimidating scary presence um i don't want to talk too much about the plot of this because i think the cleaner you go in the better but suffice to say like it's it is a hard it's one of those movies that like I am amazed you pulled off this premise for the length of of this movie and it didn't feel strained or forced or silly at any point. It's kind of like the when I came out of Shape of Water and I was like, when you think about Shape of Water as a mute woman falls in love with a sea monster, you're like, that's a fucking ridiculous premise. But like in Guillermo del Toro's hands, I was absolutely in and on the edge of my seat for it. And it's similar with this movie. It's like, it's a premise that can really run away from a less skilled director and and screenwriter but it didn't and the performances are part of that as well the um again none of the three of us were around for it but you you guys have a better feel for london in general but the the vibe it captures of 60s london is fucking oh it's so cool it's just one of those movies that feels again kind of like dune where like it has a texture it has a, a like a palpable feeling to it that's that's hard to describe it just doesn't feel like like you were kind of saying mark it doesn't feel like one of those things where it's just a bunch of green screen and artificial sets it felt like a living breathing recreation lived in recreation of uh 60s london something that we say in video games all the time is like we really appreciate when a world doesn't feel like these are some levels that were built to occupy your time we like it when it's a game where the world is designed where it feels like a map or a level that already existed before you entered into it, you know. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what this feels like. Like I said, the performances throughout are fantastic. Um, the soundtrack, lads. 
fucking hell. I have been listening to, like, you know, 60, like, music from around then, the whole time. Like, it, it, it feels redundant at this point to say the soundtrack choices in an Edgar Wright movie were impeccable. But fuck it, lads, they were. <laughs> you know? Um, I absolutely... You can see as well the... Something I love about Edgar Wright movies, I'm able to pick up on it much easier than some other directors, is you can see the things he has learned from his previous films that he has taken forward with him. Obviously, he's always had um, the timing right. Like, he's always known when to cut and how to cut between different scenes. Um some much like some of his previous movies i think it was something he really started to mess with and get next level at when he did scott pilgrim uh, and you can see it through the world's end and baby driver as well is scene transitions uh you know rather than just smash cut like how he bleeds scenes into one another and stuff like that like again this is he is reaching like top top levels throughout this uh soundtrack absolutely immaculate um his um i don't know if i like i'd hasten to call them action scenes but like the very kind of shall we say busy scenes in this i i think particularly there's a dance scene that you see some clips of in the trailer where it's like he's dancing with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's character and like the camera pans and it looks to be in one fluid motion and all of a sudden he's dancing with Thomason's McKenzie's character. And so like, the way that scene in particular is shot is breathtaking. Um, and throughout the more kind of active and actiony scenes and busier scenes throughout, he maintains that quality. But that dancing scene, like it's it's in Act One of the movie, and like from that moment, I'm just like, holy shit, this is an unbelievably well shot movie. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm going, I am almost certainly going to bump it up to that five star level. But this is this is one of my both of these films are two of my films of the year and I had an absolutely great time and will be rewatching both. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on my uh to watch list, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully my train sit on Sunday. Yeah. Like it, it it's technically a horror movie, but I think you'll be fine like I know you're not a horror guy, but I think it's the kind of horror movie that like you'll be fine with. I think yeah, we I mean, need to come up, like, grade what kind of curve my sort of yeah. level of acceptability when it comes to horror films yeah. is, but I, I yeah. don't know what it the, is. Pan's the, Labyrinth, the Mar- maybe, is, is my the, level. Yeah, uh, like, the Mark Robinson line crossing for horror, it's kind of like, um, you know, the old line that US politicians used to say about pornography is, like, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, when I'm watching horror movies and I know I'm going to be talking about them on the pod, sometimes I think, is this a Mark Robinson? And then something happens, I'm like, this is not To be honest, Robinson. I think um, my thing over the last couple of years isn't even so much horror, it's tension. Like, the I, when I had Uncut Gems described to me, I was like, there's no fucking way I w- ever watched that film, yeah. you know? So, the there is definitely some tension build in this but i think the movie is so kinetic and so visually and all uh, like audibly interesting that i, yeah, I don't I, I think, think it'll be a thing where you're sitting having yeah. a panic attack waiting for so, something like something to happen it's not one of those i can't remember which horror movie i was talking about where it's just like um the babadook or something where it opens and it's pretty much like a 90 minute roller coaster of dread yeah uh, it's not that um, so I think you'll you'll have a, a rip roaring time watching this. Everybody fucking go out and see this movie because sometimes Edgar Wright movies come out 
and they fucking bomb at the box office. Scott Pilgrim, I'm thinking of in general, and they don't deserve to. Yeah, all right. So, like, if you can safely get out to the cinema, um, watch this movie. This is a movie like it's gonna look great on Blu-ray, but it, both of these movies I've talked about this week are special experiences in the cinema. May I just remind you that Matt Smith has appeared in both The Crown and Terminator Genesis. That is uh, probably a list of one people that overlap on those two movies. <laughs> yeah, it's quite the CV. Well, yeah, um, yeah, look, is, is the crown finished? There's still a chance Schwarzenegger could show up. No, in there's, that. there's there's more crown coming. Oh, yeah, still a chance. If Schwarzenegger ends up in the crown, Mark, I, I'll, I'll give you the money myself. I don't even know how much yeah. money I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll take a fiver. Yeah, right. Uh, let's finally talk about some video games. Should we, should we start with Guardians of the Galaxy? Because that's something all three of us have on the Heath here. Let's. Uh, do you want to take the lead on that, Mark? Because I've gone Broadway on the films. So um, okay, up. well, let's, let's let's kind of first of all see where everyone is so we uh, can avoid any sort of spoilers or anything. Um, I have just finished a chapter with Lady Hellbender, Hellraiser. I can't remember which one her name Hellbender, is. Hellbender, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of, I think, like the end of I- chapter five, I want to say. I keep laughing uh, at Lady Hellbender because I think of the the Garth Marenghi quote where one of his books is called Hellbenders 2, The Boys Are Back. (laughs) (laughs) Such a fucking dumb joke. Uh, Jack, how far are you so, so far? Much further than that. I want to hear I how far. I want to so. hear how far Dave is. I'm, I'm, I'm not as far as Mark. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, yeah. So I'm on chapter. I'm like on chapter three. Okay. I well, I, I, I still, I would say, gives you at least a, a kind of general principle for what this game is and yeah, what yeah. vibe it's going for. Yeah. Like, I don't know what my final evaluation of the game is going to be, no. but I have a, I have a good read on what this game is mechanically and and how much I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, so I'll start with Jack first, because I know you, you said a bunch of things about it last week, and I want to check, first of all, like, are those feelings still the same? Are you feeling less? Are you feeling more? Tell me tell me where you are with it. Yes, um, I am still really enjoying the game. I, I think I'm just enjoying kind of browsing the different environments that I've been in so far. So at one point in the game, you get to go to nowhere, um, and it's like a sort of a live rather than like the crapped out version of it that you see in uh, in 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 Avengers Endgame you you get like an alive sort of Moss Eisley feeling uh nowhere which I really really liked and even though it's kind of very narratively linear and the path of the game is quite linear and there's sort of only minor real room for exploration I'm really enjoying that because I know that there's a not much like that I have to be worried about missing and B you just you pay attention to all of the interactions between the the characters so much like the uh, sheer level of dialogue in this game like it must have taken them best part of a year just to record all the dialogue because there are so many interstitial conversations that happen like there'll be like three or four different sort of checkpoints within a level and then every time you're moving from checkpoint to checkpoint, there's like a whole conversation that's going on amongst the Guardians. You as Peter Quill, you can change the way, the nature of the conversation and then the nature of how the other characters feel and interact with you at later points in that chapter, which is really, really cool. And I just really think that it's a strong story so far. What they're trying can I to just, do. Sorry to interrupt you. Can I say there are at times just a little bit too much dialogue? There are times nope. where... No, no, only in the ter- in only in the sense that there are times where there are two conversations that cross over because the game 
either has just accidentally loaded like the next conversation because of wherever you are that it's triggered it. Like I have run into that issue a couple of times where uh, I, I've got just the, the end or the last bit of one conversation and then the start of whatever next conversation and they do cross over. Um, so I've had, I've had that issue a couple of times. It's minor in the grand scheme of things, but I have run into that issue. Okay. Fair enough. I guess like real conversations pretty similar to that as well. Like you're so excited to talk about something else that you might, end up going over somebody as yes, they're trying to finish a point. Yes, that's fine, but they like do spend so that. much time they do spend so much time screaming at each other and arguing with each other yeah. that when you have when it happens like two different arguments at the same time, it's a bit much. Again, like I yeah. I feel like the Guardians of the Galaxy would have two different arguments Probably, at the same time. I guess. Yeah. I I feel like it's a thing where it, with any other set of characters you would be a lot more annoyed about it and they're very lucky that it's the guardians of the galaxy because this would drive me mad but the kind of like going over each other and like cross bickering kind of works a little even though it 100% isn't deliberate <laughs> probably not no yeah, yeah i uh, i think rocket is perfect as well the the, the yeah. way that they've dialogued him and the voice actor it's enough of a difference from Bradley Cooper that the, the guy that plays him kind of makes him his own. And as the game sort of rolls on more and more, I just love that character more and more. I think it's an absolute perfect representation of the spirit of the character while not being an identical clone. And that's the thing that they've gotten so right is that they've just taken, and it was I, I, my main concern going into it was that they needed to get the feel of the characters and their interactions yeah. right while not necessarily aping the characters that are exactly the same from from the marvel movies that they're in and they they got it spot on they did a really yeah. really good job of it they stand out enough to make you feel like you're playing sort of an original different version different universe version i said it last week and, and and the more i play the game the more i really do grow to love what they've done with the characters yeah i i, I was that was one of my points to say about it is that like i feel they've they've blended that quite nicely where they're not doing like Drax isn't doing a Dave Batista Drax, no. but it is like reminiscent in a way, yeah. but not in a way that makes you feel like it's just kind of a cheap knockoff, yeah. which I think is something that like Marvel's Avengers found very difficult to yeah, shake. It feels like Drax. It's like, you know, Sean Connery is James Bond and, Roger Moore is James Bond and Pierce Brosnan is James Bond and Daniel Craig is James Bond and they all feel like James Bond but they're all very different actors and they play the role yeah. in a different way and that's kind of what Ga- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy feels like to me and you know I what you forget the name of Tim, <laughs> Tim if you don't want listen look, I, I, I just throw names out of like the guys that I really liked <laughs> I, I wasn't a massive Dalton fan and yes George Lazenby also no, played I Bond mean, both and these, yes David fucking right. Niven was also Bond as well if we're just going to go for all of the Bonds but the thing that I like the most about it is that none of the collectibles in the game or none of the things that you pick up really make a huge amount of difference you're not having to worry about I need this power up and that power up or whatever. They all unlock within the progress of the story. They all unlock naturally when you're in different situations of peril. And that is class because you don't have to think about, okay, there's five different types of currency in this game. I need this kind of currency to get this, that kind of currency to get that. All you do is you level up. When you level up, you get an ability point and then you can add an ability. That's it. Um, one of the things I love about this is that uh, how 
um, well without over-egging it, they do the peppering in of, like, deep Marvel cuts. Yeah. So, like, in the first hour or so, um, the things that really got me were references to Fing Fang Foom. Uh, and, of course, you know, playing a more prominent role, the uh, the Universal Church of Truth. Uh, because the first time it's mentioned, like, when they're all being brought in on handcuffs and you can hear a character kind of that you're passing by going, ah, uh, he's from the Universal Church of something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is, like, a really good way to uh, introduce that. Yeah, uh, Dave, keep playing the game. Yeah, no, I, I know, like, I... You get the feeling that this is like it. That's not the singular reference to them at all. This is like flavor text to get make you go, okay, keep an eye out. Yeah, exactly. Just keep playing the game, and that yeah, and that's it. The game isn't hamstrung with collectibles. It's not annoying. It's just a good time. It feels like an interactive story in the way like a good Life is Strange game or whatever would have, but with a bit more. But with a bit more of a sort of combat feel. I like the rhythm to the combat. I like the you know, when you unlock the thing with the guns where you hold down the guns and you shoot and then you get, like, that little bar that you have to time and then you're doing that while you're kind of flipping around and, and you can do all sorts of cool things flying around with Peter's um, little kind of jet boots that he has or you can just slide around with, like, the circle button and things. The combat feels fun. It feels a bit manic at first, but once you start understanding it and you sort of embrace the chaos of it, you start to really enjoy it, I find. And yeah. like having the guardians, the little huddle things are really cool. Where you get, like, I I really want to mention the huddles. I really like yeah. those. Yeah. I, I I they're one of my favorite things in the game so far. And they're, they're, there's not really anything to them. You know, don't don't really can give it that much of a tactical advantage. But I did um, I did one of them, and then um, fuck, what song played? I can't remember what song played over the top, but it kind of like it took the battle scene and then sort of amplified it up because it's yeah. like you have the, the huddle and then you get back out onto the, the battle scene and like whatever song was playing in the background. Yeah. Obviously, the soundtrack is fucking but, incredible. I was going to say, by the way, like if there's one thing you're going to steal from the the Marvel versions of Guardians of the Galaxy, doing the jukebox soundtrack is the fucking one. Yeah, to take, and, as I said to Mark last week, instead of doing like the 60s, 70s, the 80s music is a yeah. fucking masterstroke to just yeah. put in there to just wedge some nostalgia in. Yes, I'm on the Milano. Yes, I'm hanging out listening to Where Eagles Dare by Iron Maiden. And fuck you. That is what I wanted <laughs> I to do. I also did that yeah. straight away. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I got yeah, the best um, one was um I was I was escaping from a hangar with the Milano as um, Motley Crue was just pounding away in the background and then Gamora, like, Gamora would fly by and be like you know what this is better with the music and then Rocket's like yeah really jamming out to these tunes quote and shit and like all the characters are then picking up on the fact that you are now playing music or whatever and it, it's just really really artfully done and it, it is constantly putting a smile on my face even in the more serious bits of the game it still has the guardians feel and they've just smashed it i'm so proud after the fucking disaster of the avengers game that they've got yeah. this game so good and it was one of the big talking points so i don't want to labor it too much in the build-up to this game but guys how fucking refreshing is it to have a game like this based on a massive ip where you don't feel like the campaign exists to push you to an online well, mode yes, well, there's I, I thought you was going in a slightly different direction but there are aspects of what you're saying there that i want to follow up with and because my my big talking point with this is that it's it's a fascinating game because it's obviously it's a big triple a big budget title that has a lot AAA. that has a lot of the trappings that you would see in a big 
big budget AAA title. Like it has, you know, your big flashy um, scripted cuts, action sequences. It has quick time events. It has a relatively shallow skill tree. It's very yeah. linear in terms of how you navigate from one area to the next. It has those fucking tiny crawl spaces that are disguising the fact that you're transitioning, loading from one scene to another. The yeah. combat is is fairly shallow, but it's fine for what yeah. it is. It has all of these things. But it doesn't feel like a cynical cash-in experience. No. It does still feel like it was done That's it, exactly. with a labour of love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels like it was designed from the ground up by people who are super into it. Yeah, and, like, and that's it, what you I can like. Clearly, see, it's pulling from like God of War and um, yeah, God. There's a- it pulls from as, as many video game things as it does from like deep yeah. Marvel lore, like I was talking about, but not in a way that makes you feel like you know. Sometimes, Mark, we play these games and we talk about them on on the show that feel just like a patchwork quilt of stolen ideas. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like that. Like it's not. You know, the thing about it is it's not reinventing the wheel. It's not a massive intergalactic sandbox, but I don't always want that. And like when this game was announced as it's a single player only game, did I get hyped for it? Yes. Did I think realistically that they were going to put out a game that's going to finish probably somewhere in my top 10 for the year? I didn't think so in my wildest dreams, but it's already heading in that direction only like two or three hours in for me um so like i'm i'm so happy with it i'm so happy i went and got it last weekend um yeah incredible it's a video it's game as video game like they actually yeah. made a game that feels like an old school single player game experience like you like like yeah. you said not trying to sell you online like mark said you you kind of forgive the faults of it because it's made and it's crafted with with genuine love and appreciation yeah. and there is still a market for that got you know despite people telling you that games of a live service and an ea coming out this week and telling us that you know that, that it, it's all about nfts that's the future of video games <laughs> not just fucking ea no right yeah oh, we'll get to that right? yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but fuck that because while things like this are still being made and still exist there is it is proof that there is a market for this sort of thing so yeah i want this game to do well because of that but I tell you what, I've not been able to play Guardians of the Galaxy for at least the last three days, maybe two days, I can't remember exactly, because I've been unpacking a lot, um, and I know that I've managed to <laughs> sway one member of, of this crew to also start unpacking a lot. Yeah. And, um, and and the other one to download it onto his Xbox, and he just needs to get around to it tonight. <laughs> yeah, uh, unpacking. So this released a couple of days ago, and I'd seen a couple of people talking about it. Um, and mainly the, the the crucial person, uh, Victoria Chan, who is the community manager for Among Us, uh, she announced that this game had released, and I think she's doing community work for that as well. So I was like, well, hey, if she's involved in some in some capacity, I'll give it a, a look. And obviously, it's on Game Pass, so I'm going to download it. Um, it is this like very zen puzzle esque, but very light in terms of what its actual puzzle mechanic is. Game about unpacking you are literally just unpacking boxes in uh you know the the scenes transition from what seems like a college dorm to your first bedroom to your first flat Uh, and there's clearly this kind of story that's being told the narrative really is only in the the diary the diary entries that you get after you you know complete a level and you get like a little script about like hey this is my first bedroom or oh here we are at college whatever it said 
but all of the storytelling is done on an environment uh, in a, an environment level in terms of the things that you unpack and you know there are certain uh, uh, objects that carry over from you know your first bedroom to your first um, your, your your college dorm to your first flat you know there are the toys that f- come with you there are certain books that come with you all of this kind of stuff that obviously you you I don't know if you will at the end of the game, but certainly at this point, the girl that you're playing as, and I presume it's a girl because of some of the items and pieces of clothing, but you know, you never get any kind of sense from a, a, from actual dialogue about who this person is. It's all done through all of the, the items that she owns. And it's a really subtle but beautiful way of um, kind of not exploring this character, but just giving you these kind of like breadcrumbs about who this person might be. Um, so you have that on top of the fact that it's quite satisfying to just throw everything out of these boxes and then spend the time to try and find where they actually go. And the puzzle mechanic is the fact that some items can't go in certain places. You know, you can't take the kettle from the kitchen and put it in the shower room. It just, the game won't let you do it. Um, what you can do is basically once everything's out of the boxes, anything that you've got left over that's in the wrong place, it will do like a kind of a flashing red outline around the item to say, hey, this is in the right place, go and figure out where it is. Because the game doesn't kind of explicitly tell you where any of that stuff goes, you're using real-world logic to determine that. One of the few minor issues that I have is it's not quite clear what certain items are. I can't tell if one item is a Wacom tablet or a gamepad or something else. Um, I was convinced I was holding uh, like a set of weight scales, which actually turned out to be a chopping board. There's been a couple of times like that, but that is about the only issue I have with this game. Um, Yeah, this is a really, really, really unique and special game that I'm really enjoying. And I honestly want to go and play some more of this when we finish. I have a feeling, Jack, you are exactly the same after we finish this podcast. Jack had to be yelled at to stop playing it so we could do a podcast. That is true. Um, I had been unpacking for a couple of hours before we started recording here after dinner, and I'm just enraptured by this game. It's the zen quality of, even though it's a puzzle game, the thing that I like about it is there's a few items that have very specific areas that they need to be like stashed or stored or unpacked into but the vast majority of it you get complete creative freedom and one of the things that i think is really interesting um was like going on twitter after i'd done like the first couple of levels and just looking at how other people would unpack the rooms how they decided to lay objects out and stuff like that and it just it, it it's just such a cool concept for a game tell me tell me a story about someone's life without telling me a story about their life just by like a sort of Lloyd Grossman-esque through the keyhole that you're in charge of. You get to place, you have the knowledge of what this person likes and what they're into and what sort of things they own and the different eras, you get different years as you move into each different designated location. So it gives you a feel and then you have like time specific items for that era, whatever you get posters, you can put up, you get different items of clothes that you can hang in closets and it's just so re- relaxing to play there's a lovely acoustic synth wavy soundtrack that goes on in the background that just sort of like lends a nice atmospheric feel to the whole thing it's incredibly pleasant it's so artfully done it's proof that you don't need 
Guardians of the Galaxy and heavy metal and explosions and stuff, even though that thing is fucking cool, to make a piece of really good video game art, you can just have a simple concept and encourage people to express themselves through very basic actions and it will appeal to somebody and it will give them that dopamine hit in a completely different way. And it could not be more polar opposite for me and Mark in us both playing Guardians of the Galaxy and moving over to unpacking and enjoying them both on, on, on a very specific set of levels and those levels being completely different but it giving you the same feels when you do it. And yeah, I just... Mm. Unpacking, I had no knowledge of it. I saw what the concept was. I saw Mark's description of it. Um, Dave... As a big Wilmot's Warehouse fan, my God, is this going to be absolutely your shit? Um, it's it's you know it's not exactly the same, but there are some very similar ideas and just sort of stacking and fitting things together. Anyone who enjoys Tetris, oh Jack, but you hate Tetris. No, I love Tetris, um, and it has that sort of uh, appeal to it as well. I just think what a what a what a what a beautiful game. You know, I'm going to probably spend a few more hours with it, however long it takes to finish it. And it will, it will stay with me. It will definitely stay with yeah. me for, for time because I just think already the impression it's made on me is, is massive. And yeah, I, I could not put this thing over more for what it is. You know, is it a game of the year contender? Mm, maybe not, but fuck me. Is it incredibly enjoyable when you spend time with it? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, God, I I want to say I spent about 15 minutes trying to establish where the fuck the ukulele goes and in the end I was able to just shove it under the bed and it accepted that so that was kind of my game of the year moment <laughs> the first moment that I was like oh right some things actually have to be in place it's like the first level makes you put the diary in the drawer um, and, yeah. and that's not a huge spoiler Dave like that's a very self-explanatory yeah. one but then I absolutely love because I, I don't know about you, Mark, but do you unpack things onto the floor? Because I unpack things and put them in places, and then wait for corrections. Because I, uh, I, I, I kind of do a bit of both. Like it depends on the room that I'm in and how many boxes are there. Like because it depends on what you unpack first. Like if I start. If I get a bunch of books, because like you get different books in different sizes, yeah. I'll try and stack all of the books in the right level so I can then just pick them all up one at a time and shove them on a shelf. And I love that it does that. Like It's very user-friendly with the little touches like that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes like with the kitchen, because there's too many like ad hoc objects and like you have some of the bigger objects like the saucepan and whatnot, um, that I don't want to just go shoving them in the cupboard because I don't know what space i have to work with so it kind of depends on the room i'm in yeah yeah i agree i um i i do like to there's only one or two things that i'll leave on the floor and and like you say every now and then you might not establish what an object is but then what usually gives away to me what an object is is me spending more time looking at the environment realizing where i fit other things and going okay that's that that's what that is and that's why that goes in that particular place and it kind part of, of the, part of the problem with that and part of like what i like about the game as well is not everything so like for, for dave for clarification um as you play through the game levels don't have a fixed amount of rooms so like your first level is just the one room um but then i think the next level is like three rooms and then uh, there's one level i think that's like four or five rooms and all of the boxes in a specific room aren't necessarily all tied to that specific room so like i'll be unpacking in the living room and suddenly i'll um, i'll pick up a sock that has to go in the bedroom um yeah. 
which you know true to life you know sometimes you'll pack yeah. some stuff and it doesn't all fit into one room so there mm-hmm. are some times when i'll unpack something and i'm like i don't even know if this is in the the right room um but i also like as well that they have the uh the not entirely accurate but very obviously clear tributes to like gamecube controllers and the wii um there's a lot of uh nintendo inspired uh hardware that you have to <laughs> put around the the living room and whatnot yeah, so whole, just a lot of little touches like that the whole game feels to me like it was made by a nintendo nerd like a kid at school who spent all his time on a game boy advance or like a you know, talking about Nintendo characters playing Mario and stuff and, you know, listening to, like, very obscure but very kind of listenable indie rock music and walking around in his favourite band t-shirt. And and then I realised that this game was probably made by someone like me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the massive thumbs up from packing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose I'll just mention it quickly, but I've been... um, I've kind of played... uh, a different mode on on uh, a slightly different mode on, on FIFA 22 this week that I just want to mention that actually did you know I, I think I mentioned briefly a few weeks ago that career mode is kind of you know mostly just like little tweaks here or there um, but I, I started playing a player career mode which is where you just play like the one player as yourself and, and guide them through their career and stuff like that and they've really like they haven't completely thrown the bait like the, the whole thing out and started from scratch but they've really changed a bunch of things things that have been consistently frustrating for the last few years in that particular mode so the criteria for getting your like obviously your match rating ties in a lot to how well you do in that but the ways in which they would mark you down uh felt a bit kind of um like i want to come up with a more educated term than wanky but you know it it was it was just like so for example like i typically because you know before i broke my legs a bunch uh i was a forward so i would typically play as a center forward i think a lot of people would just because it's the most fun thing to do if you're stuck playing one role on a video game uh, a football video game um so if i play as a center forward and in previous years on fifa it's like i could come out in the biggest match of the season and score a fucking hat trick but then i come in at the end of the game and the manager uh, has given me like a 7 out of 10 rating and is fucking slating me for like falling out of position and things like that even though like I'd only be maybe out of position for a couple of seconds at a time but it was because I was moving to somewhere that made sense for where the ball was um or for occasions like I'd make a run expecting a pass and the pass wouldn't come so for a couple of seconds I'd be offside and that would count as being out of position even though I'd really immediately recover and get back onside so it felt really silly and really like unnecessarily harsh the rating system I feel like this year they've kind of nailed it a bit better so instead of that whole you need complete rigidity in your positioning and things like that there still is those reminders and they will still dock you slowly if you spend ages out of position or offside but um to improve your rating with your manager firstly it's finally transparent there's finally a bar to show you like 
how the manager feels about you from game to game. You were kind of just fucking in the dark and figuring it out before this year. But now there's like a bar that's divided into three that shows like you're in the reserves, you're in the subs, you're in the starting 11. Brilliant. So that's that's immediately a huge improvement. There's also now individual match objectives. Now, granted, like, if you were to write down the pot of objectives, there's probably only about 15 or 20 of them. And, like, the values for each kind of vary here or there. You might get, you will, it, like, per match you'll have three objectives to complete. And it might be, like, I'll just pull three that I've had before. Uh, there might be score a goal outside of the box. Then there's complete 50% of your dribbles. And the third one might be avoid a loss. And then the kind of like the pro move then. So if you complete all three of those, you gain a bunch of XP, which boosts your manager rating and allows you to like work towards unlocking different stats boosts and, and things like that. Um, but as well, what the game makes you do is kind of like the pro level thing is that you pick one of those three objectives to enhance. So it might go, if you enhance the complete 50% of your dribbles, it might go up to complete 70% of your dribbles. You pick the score a goal from outside of the box, it will turn to score two goals outside of the box. If you try and enhance the avoid a loss, it'll be like win the game. And you'll still get a set amount of points for completing the basic version of that goal, but you'll get a bigger boost of the, the of your meter at the end of the game if you complete the enhanced objective as well. So I feel that stuff is really good. It feels more realistic and gives you a good path for how to work your way into the first team, which did used to feel very arbitrary. Um, you can work your way, and it makes sense because it's the way that actual football works if you are booking your player in for training sessions every week, that will boost your meter as well. So if you're working hard in training, it boosts your chances of getting into the team. Makes absolute sense. If you have a shitter of a game, but then you like and you lose points, you can gain them back by having a good week in training. Um, that's really cool. And the way they do the training thing is like you get the points based on the highest grade you've achieved by actually doing the drill. So if you want to, you don't want to have the full complete in-depth experience you can do each drill once get an a grade in each drill and every time you sim the drill afterwards it will give you an a grade but it does offer you the opportunity of like you will get extra points if you physically play the drill as well so that's that's pretty cool um i'm taking a path because again usually i'm the born fucker that like uh much like when i do a first manager career mode every year i would usually plonk my player right at united um straight off um, because it takes, like, you can become captain of a club if you stay at it for, like, four or five years and things like that. So I decided to go a more circuitous route, and instead of going, what I would usually do if I'm trying to do the harder route is start myself off in League of Ireland and, and try work my way over to England into the Championship and up to the Premier League, that kind of typical route a lot of Irish players used to go. Um, but what I did this time, I was like, let's do something mad. So I am current. Uh, well, I, I started off my career mode as a 17 year old Irish center forward playing for Baca Juniors. Because <laughs> uh, one, Baca are licensed again in the game and, and two, their stadium is in the game. So I'm just like, fucking, yeah, man, let's play in Argentina. Let's play in the Libertadores. So I did a season there. Uh, and that was cool. But now I want to start moving towards Europe. Won the league there. Um, 
you know, boosted up my stats enough that I was like, I can handle it in one of the big five leagues. So now I the the first team that piqued my interest because like I don't want to go to any of the clubs I would usually pick. Um, and the first club from Europe that went for me were Valencia. I have played for Valencia a couple of times in, in previous games. Leicester also came in for me. I've done that. I don't want to go to the Premier League yet. So now I am playing for Sociedad. Oh, nice. And that is real fun. Uh, and also Sociedad uh, appear to be building together a bit of a beast of a team because they have, who is it they have? They obviously have David Silva. Um, but they also in this career mode uh, got Koke playing for them who is now their captain so they must have got him in the previous season um, they have Romagnoli in from Milan uh, who always goes out of contract at the end of the first season in career mode and Owen Weindahl uh, the, the Dutch left back in as well so like they're in, like they're proper assembling a good team I was wondering how much of a struggle it would be coming in and it feels like a more realistic struggle to one consistently get into a team uh, and two then to become a relied upon starter so they they will do a dynamic thing where like before you used to have to watch the game in the like in the hope you would get subbed on or sometimes like you know i think in the last one it'd be like the game like you will hit start and it will just start when you get subbed on but in this one what it does is it gives you the exact scenario before you jump into the game it's like you're going to be uh coming in in the 70th minute here is a breakdown of what's happened in the game so far it's 2-1 here's who scored here are the possession stats here's what's going on and here's the role you're being subbed in to play um, and you'll also get things that are much more dynamic in the game from the AI like the manager will switch you around a bunch so I got subbed in in one game in the 70th minute as a centre forward but then immediately one of our defenders got a red card and we were only I think 2-1 up and it was away from home so the manager put me in central defensive midfield like he went and parked the bus and pulled everyone back into their half um, so that stuff is cool uh, I really appreciate it uh, and I really like that. I said I wasn't going to talk much about it, and, and then, then you've I just cut started a to re- massive promo. <laughs> yeah, I, st- I then I just started realizing how much I'm enjoying it, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, apart from unpacking, that's the only other thing that's on my menu for tonight, game wise, boys. And that's why I haven't got to unpacking because I've been really getting into there you that. Go. Um, Mark, final thoughts on dread. Mark, you are on mute. Oh, the classic Zoom huh. thing. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh Metroid Dread is a very very good Metroid game. Uh if you like Metroid, you should play. If you have never played Metroid before, I was really hoping you go it's a very good game. Boom, done. Uh, uh <laughs> other than some aspects of the story will leave you completely lost, uh but Metroid isn't really a, a story heavy game, so you don't really need to worry about that. But yeah, yeah everything that I, I I've said um before still stands true. Uh the final boss uh whips ass like all the bosses do. Um Dave, did you get around to starting it yet or like Yeah, about, about an hour in okay. or so. I was I was playing it on the train to Galway, but then I realized that shit eats battery. Yeah. Uh, my my so my I switched switch, to Picross. My switch just like the battery on that is is pretty fucked at this point. It, it lasts my- about an hour at best. I try to be good with it when I'm out that I like I put it in airplane mode straight away because that saves a bit. Um 
And I don't usually play like big intensive, like I'm not playing Odyssey or anything like that on the go. It's usually when I'm on a train, I play a smaller game, which is why, again, like I said, I switched to Picross. But I kind of didn't realize how intensive it was going to be on the battery until like, fuck, I've been playing this fuck all time and the battery is half gone or more. Yeah, you kind of think that's not going to be the case for a 2D Metroid game, but like visually, it's, it's obviously, it's not like anywhere near the best looking game of the year but it, it mm. packs a lot in there you know like there's a lot going on for, for a 2d metroid game yeah, yeah it's it's just it's a really good metroid game um i probably still would have super metroid number one i you know i just yeah. i can't imagine there's a, a metroid game in its lifetime that's going to top that but mm. um i think the, the thing that i'm happy about is that clearly um the mistakes that were there with samus returns and the fact that just that control scheme was not conducive to the 3ds all of that is translated over to the switch and for this particular version and the things that they were trying to do that i could see they were trying to do with samus returns they've knocked out of the park here uh and <laughs> as uh, you you noted in uh, in the group chat as you started playing it those emmy sections are to start with Aww. they're they're pretty fucking intense you it, there's like this kind of weird curve um or like a it's like a semicircle where you start with them and you're like jesus christ how do i do these then by the middle middle part you figure out what's going on and it's fine but then the last one in particular because the space that you have to work with to try and blast off that face shield and then hit the final kind of shot with your mega cannon you just you just like i don't have the space to work with so you know it's it gets pretty intense but uh yeah metro dread is is definitely worth picking up um so yeah uh let's hoof into the news lads and considering like the running time of the show maybe a whistle stop tour of the news is uh more appropriate this week um the first one holy shit like you want to talk about a late run for the konami corner award <laughs> let's talk about konami it's konami <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they have now, uh, in the ongoing saga of eFootball, uh, they have uh, delayed the full launch of the game until spring 2022 and cancelled the controversial £33 premium player pack. Um, so uh, it was due out the 11th of November, postponed until spring 2022. The mobile version also postponed for that. I can only imagine what a shit show oh, the God. mobile version will be. I like, tried to think. God. Um, so yeah, they were going to have a, a premium player pack behind a paywall for £33, um, and it's been removed, and people who have pre-ordered the premium player pack, uh, they will be automatically refunded. Um, I, I still can't get over, my favourite thing about it is just that, like, um, if you play it offline, you get, was it seven or eight teams? That's it. Really? See, it's, it's, yeah. it's an always online, basically, if you want every team. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, like, I knew it was a disaster, and I knew the options were considerably more limited in terms of teams than FIFA, but I hadn't really, because, like, I haven't even, it's free to play, and I haven't fucking bothered my whole uh, looking into getting it. Um, 
yeah, that that was kind of I I heard another podcast talking about that, and I was like, fucking hell. Can um, I say even more so than anything else, just the logo of the game is the laziest, cheapest looking yeah. thing. You know, I think a lot of us had the feeling like when the moment they announced the rebrand to eFootball, there was that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like that this, like it had been on its last legs for a few years. There was a brief resurgence when it went to the fox engine before they threw that out for no fucking reason um a couple of years after the fact but i think when it changed e-football that was the moment you were like the the fucking glory days of pez being a better game than fifa gone yeah it's just a tad carcass of a franchise now it's really sad to see yeah I follow a bunch of like the the Pez modding sites that do the option files for the authentic kits and stuff and going back to yeah, like the PS one. Every, PS2 every time here. there's a new Konami football game, you you talk about this and yeah, and they're so good. Yeah. Like you would not know the like the difference at all between that and a licensed football game. But I follow a bunch of accounts like that, and holy fuck, the tweets coming out of those accounts are maudlin and depressed and just like I feel so bad because you know it's something we've touched upon before with different kind of fan-made games and stuff like that, but like Pez is the game I've known about the online modding community about for the longest. And they're so dedicated and they put so much work in for months before release and they patch and support um, their option files better than Konami fucking patch and support the actual games. And this feels just like the latest dagger in their backs, <laughs> like this whole experience. I haven't even because they're the like the tone of their tweets are so depressed. I don't even want to log on to like Pez Universe or whatever and see like what if anything they're bothering to do with it this year because I just feel so bad for every them. Uh, every statement I've seen from Konami about the game has included some form of apology as well. It's like they're just yeah. constantly apologizing for this, but they kind of must have known yeah. ahead of time. It just, yeah, it's. There's no way can you have looked at this in QA and that, like, because there are some games where you're just like, look, QA doesn't show up 100% of the problems you need because you have people who are like professional QA people. You need this to get out into the wild to like people who are either dumb as a box of rocks with playing games or are just going to do like uh, a Vinnie Caravella and deliberately try to break games in the weirdest and most obtuse ways imaginable <laughs> before you can see every crack but there is absolutely no way on this kind of like um, Cyberpunk there's no way on this God's Earth that this went through QA and there wasn't uh, an absolute phone book's worth of this is fucked, this is fucked, this was a dumb idea, <laughs> this is stupid, I don't want to play this anymore. Yeah, I, I have to imagine <laughs> yeah. that um, a bunch of, because, you know, some of this is is slightly relative to the kind of work that I do, but not entirely, but, like, I have to imagine there were probably a bunch of bugs that they knew about that they were like, okay, well, these aren't game-breaking, and obviously it's not the 1.0, so, you know, whatever, we'll get it out and we'll, we'll deal with those. But there's probably so many, and from the gifts that I've seen, there's like, even they couldn't have known about them because they're, they're that fucking spectacular in how broken they are. There's so there's like a few of those bugs. Like we all had a good laugh at the big nightmare Ronaldo face. Yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, but again, not around. game breaking, but so whatever. My thing about this is there are so many of the big problems with this that aren't 
bugs their features. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this 33 pound thing. Oh, the it's insidious. Lack of teams in the offline mode. So many of the things that are wrong with this aren't we ran out of time, aren't nine month development cycles on football games are hard. They are, these are things we deliberately did that fucked the game. And it reminds me very much of something that I know uh, Jack had some takes on at the time and I did too when we talked about it. It reminds me very much of post-release Metal Gear Solid 5. Yep. It was like... They made that game 95% of the way real good. Then they fucking sacked everybody, didn't finish it, released it anyway, and patched it so the game became actively worse. Yeah. Um, do you think and- Do you think that Konami took offence to us renaming the category to Randy Pitchford last year and they're just... Coming back for the crown. Hell-bent on reclaiming that title. I mean, I have to say I respect <laughs> I do respect... Respect the grift. I uh, yeah, I, I yeah. don't think anything will ever be as disappointing to a franchise as Tony Hawk's Five, though. So uh, that is still going to yeah. be the all-time clubhouse leader, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, it, it maybe that or uh, Sonic the Hedgehog: The Rise of Lyric. <laughs> yeah, but that at least gave us the giant bomb video. But then yeah. also, yeah. the Sonic fan base has been experiencing nothing but disappointment for so many yeah. years. Tony yeah, Hawk. but what's worse? The Sonic fan base are broken people. But what's worse is they don't know that they're being disappointed. It's everyone yeah. on the outside they are, that's like, oh, They are man. WWE fans. It's like, oh, it's got a little shit on it. It's still good. It's still good. <laughs> it's um, gone. Right. Next news story. Speaking Nintendo, of things that are slightly disappointing. Nintendo has said that they are going to improve and expand Nintendo Switch online. They gave uh, their latest user figures a rise of 6 million paid subscribers over the last 12 months. Um... You know, uh, as the article from Eurogamer notes, it will have risen higher in the past month because of the expansion to the online service with the N64 and Mega Drive. Um, did uh, did I really guys get get this? By the way, no, uh, not yet. Okay. I was thinking about it. It's a thing where I, I saw the clips that were going around about how fucked Mario Kart was, and I was like, Do you know what? I don't need it so quickly. <laughs> you know, it might be a thing where post Christmas I might I might dip in because I'd like to play N six. I'd lo- I would fucking love to spend Christmas playing Ocarina of Time on my Switch. Here's the here's the so. thing. I wish it was just Mario Party two on there, so us three and anyone else that wants to join could play a Mario Party two fifty turn game at some point over the Christmas holidays. That would be great. I'm all for that. But again, like Nintendo fucked it because I last week or th- within the last couple of days when I got paid, I was like, right. I'm going to go buy myself one of those N64 controllers that they've done oh. for the Switch. And I was like, they're just, they're just not available. I yeah, was like, well, You need to, like, um, collect five golden tickets and stand <laughs> at a crossroads so at midnight. once again, <laughs> Nintendo have fucked themselves out of my money yeah. because I was it, like, I would have happily bought that controller yeah. and it, probably I, have the Switch online by now. But it's we, like, I'm not going to use that- it without the controller. We've said this multiple times before. I have never encountered a company in my life that makes it harder for me to give them my money. Yeah. You know? And like it so if it was a new console, I would understand with the like the chip shortage and things like that now, right? I would understand. This is a fucking controller for which the design has been around since 1996. The only difference is that it's wireless now. And firstly, you do a weird what can only be described as Nintendo-ass thing of we're only going to sell it on our website through a very specific link. Good luck finding it. Um, 
And then they obviously made about 20 of them because they sold out immediately and no real detailed word on when that stock is getting 2022 um, air quotes. Yeah, that's that's all I thought. Yeah, we'll yeah. I, I got a love as well. It was another opportunity for me to have a great laugh with my local GameStop when I was in getting Guardians of the Galaxy and I was chatting to them about it and I was just like, do you think you're going to get um, any of them in store eventually? And they were like, Nintendo won't tell us until we open the box from the courier and they're in there. That's how little, like, word that Nintendo give out about these things. Although I was listening as well, like, you know, we mentioned the chip shortage, and this is slightly off topic, but I was talking to them. Somebody was in asking about PS5s, (laughs) and they were like... They were talking about, so there is a release of them coming before Christmas, but like, again, they've been doing a pre-order list for those for a couple of months, and um, they were talking to a guy about it, who's obviously a dad looking for it for Christmas, and they said, if you're not, if you haven't already been on the pre-order list for those couple of months, it will be February before there are any more at all. Like, this is, it, it's Mad. unbelievable. It's and this is how the scalpers who have bided their time and yeah. sat on mountains of them are making their money. Yeah. They, like, and, like, it, the more time goes on, the more I'm like, it really is a minor miracle that all three of us managed to eventually get one. Uh, it's it ridiculous that I just went to fucking PC World, like, one day, and yep. I stood in a queue, and 20 minutes later I had a PS5. I don't know yep. how I pulled that and off. And it's, it's more like ridiculous that I just went on the day they went up online and just yep. bought it. Well, you was, the, you was the smart one out of the three of yep. us. Yeah, <laughs> or I, yeah I, I woke, like, again, yeah, I was, like, a couple of months later than you, Jack, but I was just like, or was it a couple of months? Did I have it in time for Christmas last year? I can't remember. I don't think you did because you didn't play no, Astro. Yeah, Bot if you played Astro, Bot, that would have yeah. been game of the year. Oh, it was January. Everyone. It was yeah. It was it was early January. I got it. Yeah, because Hitman Three was the first thing I played on it. Yeah. Um. So I was like, I I just woke up and I saw a tweet and then went on to Smith's website and they had them. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It was just like all three of us dumb fucking luck. Yeah. Um, and again, like you remember, Mark, your deliberate strategy to try and keep track of when they were going on didn't pan out nearly as well as let me just fucking amble, like stumble into a PS5 in the wild. I, um, as usual with most things that happen with me is I have to completely give up all like pretensions of hope and then I'll get the thing that I'm looking for. Yeah. So, you know, um, I was just going to say with the, the, the N64 thing, did you see the, the kind of potential like they data mined about what is most likely coming in the future? Yeah. Um, so there was Majora's Mask, obviously yeah. Smash, Wave Race, which is the big yeah. one. Uh, I think that they, they, they announced, they've said Majora's Mask and Wave Race before because I remember we had the chat in our group chat about like, did they did they have to renew the Kawasaki jet ski and, and like licensing? <laughs> yeah, um, and the three Mario Party games. But there was also that thing that you see about GoldenEye um, being unbanned in Germany. Yes, and yeah, um, so yeah, like. Obviously, it's all still up in the air. And again, like when it comes to who owns the license and what the fuck the legalities of that game is, is is just a minefield. Yeah. But hey, maybe that'd be nice. I'm telling you, the two big legal minefields that would cause an earthquake if they managed to sort them out and drop this on the virtual console are Goldeneye and No Mercy. Oh, no. Like, if those motherfuckers dropped on the, the virtual console, the... Like you want to talk about license to print money? And if they could, no, no, they're not. But if they could get like that and online functionality, oh but also my you're, god! 
because of several members of the roster, you're not getting the intact uh, No Mercy experience <laughs> I guess anyway. that is. And also, well, they could do WrestleMania it, 2000, it was I guess. WWF No Mercy as well, so they'd have to change all the... Yeah, but, it, well, no, they don't have to do that anymore no. with uh, historical oh, okay. stuff. They don't have to change the F anymore. Uh, thank fuck. Um, anyway, Devolver D- Digital is now a publicly traded company, and Sony has bought a stake in it, which is interesting. Um, people have been talking, uh, like people often talk up a lot of Devolver games, but as this uh, video that tried to autoplay on the Eurogamer article reminded me, there's been a lot of talk about a Devolver game this week because people are super into Inscription, um, which sounded like a really cool game when I was listening to it on the Bombcast until about a minute and a half in, Daniel Dwyer mentions that it's a card game, and I was like, I'm out. (laughs) Fuck. I was like getting super hyped about this, and I thought it sounded like a puzzle game, and then he mentioned cards. I was like, fuck. Um, Not a big uh, Metal Gear Acid fan, though, Dave Beckham. No. No. Uh, so it's interesting that they've gone public. Um, even more interesting from a certain point of view that, that Sony have bought a stake in it. I mean, if I was Sony, I would absolutely... Like, if somebody was like, you can buy a part of Devolver Digital, which, like, really releases a lot of fringe, kooky, and interesting games, I, I, that's absolutely the decision you'd make. But here's what I want, gentlemen, straight away. Quarterly earnings calls presented by Nina Struthers. <laughs> yep, that works. Has to be. Done. I think we should all buy one share in Devolver so we get to go on those calls. Yeah, I'm just. I am yep. curious about like what because Devolver Digital. It's fair to say have had a very kind of specific uh, a personality, shall we say, uh, or a specific mm-hmm. direction with how specific, they presented specific themselves. Brand. A specific brand. There we go. Yeah. And that brand, I wouldn't say you know kind of flows and fits in with your typical sort of like publicly traded companies um so i'm curious about how they'll adapt to that uh but otherwise i mean this can hopefully only really be a good thing um you know devolver digital them and annapurna and i guess humble games as well like they just they keep knocking out knocking out the park with games that they they partner up with um yeah for me personally, like as, as an incubator, they are they are stellar. They have been, you know, just the the lifeblood of the types of games that I've been playing for the last couple of years now. So, you know, I can't think of a, a studio or a company that deserves to get the success that they're having. Um, and I would imagine as well that the trickle down of this um, is that it just means that we get more good games, more studios get funded. Mm. Um, like I, I only see positives out of this. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm curious to see how <laughs> how they present themselves going forward. Uh, next up in an earning calls this w- in an earning call this week, uh, EA boss and noted cyborg Andrew Wilson <laughs> called NFC and so called. That, that's not his name, yeah. Dave. What's his real name? What What is his Android real name? Wilson? <laughs> hey, there he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do Android Wilson's dream of electric sheep, I wonder. No, they um, just dream about a lot of money. They, yeah, he says NFTs and so-called play-to-earn games were an important part about the future of our industry. I, I mean, are they like, fuck? Well, they this are. treads a lot of recent and not so recent coverage of stuff that we've said. Like, I think we did the NFT thing maybe a month or two ago. Um, the last time a prominent company talked about NFTs and video games, uh, which has always given us the ick. And also, like, we've been long on the record about our thought of uh, our thoughts on play-to-earn or play-to-win games. I don't have a he- hell of a lot to add to this, only, like, fuck this from, a like, a my personal view perspective. And also, like, 
with maybe the exception of Activision Blizzard, there is no other company I would have bet the fucking house on to come down on this side of both of those concepts than EA. Yeah. They're just trying to get whatever they can get for anything. They'll they'll sell you they'll, they'll sell you whatever the fuck they can and, and charge as much money as they can and get away with it for as long as they possibly can until someone points out that they're dicks and then Android Wilson will apologize. And then and then periodically absorb and then shut down any studio associated with them that garners the remotest bit of interest from people like yeah. us. Well, it wasn't even just EA this week. You've also had Ubisoft this week announce their intentions. And I saw a tweet today about Square Enix as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of the big players are clearly... I, I, don't, I, I don't know if it was a case of, like, one person opened the NFT door and then all the other yeah. big boys decided to walk through the door at the same time. But um, I, I feel at this point it isn't a case of like who's going to decide to do this. But now it's just a case of like, okay, what does this actually look like in terms of implementation? Um, but I mean, for me, it helps me out because it makes it easier to know which companies I want to boycott in the future. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll see what it looks like. Like whatever about the uh, the the play to uh, earn part we've been talking about that donkey's ears but like I laugh every time I see um this like different developers coming out with this stuff about NFTs because I'm just like how long have these be- companies been around and still no one can see a speculative bubble coming from a mile away like how are these people so eminently qualified and highly paid in business and can't see something that by the time they get caught up with the trend, the bubble will have burst and they will lose their arses on it. Yeah, you because know? greed, Dave. Yeah, well, that's it. That, that, like Again, it's, it comes down to the, the sterling thing of pe- they don't want to earn more money. They want to earn all Correct. the money. So if, if people are making yeah. money off NFTs, then why aren't they making money off NFTs like right away? Yeah. Even if they don't yeah. understand but, what they like, are or how... Yeah. like intelligent people make money from blockchain and nfts and all of this sort of stuff they just see people getting cash and they're like cash we like cash how can we earn cash and then there's like one nerd in the company who has to come into a boardroom probably and explain how nfts work to a bunch of like adult children most of whom are several millionaires many times over So there, there, there will be some properties that they can kind of shoehorn at late stages of development this kind of stuff into. But like when I think about the 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 length of time cycle your average AAA game is in development for, like I'm not a qualified financial advisor by any stretch of the imagination. What? But if I like, I know. But if like if I was and a client came to me and was like, we're developing a project. Um, it won't be out for at least three years, but it's going to capitalize on this incredibly of the moment fad i'd be like stupid idea i don't (laughs) you know see the thing about nfts is i don't know that they're going away right away because crypto is still around and yeah crypto is yeah but i don't know about nfts i i get i get a a, a nasty feeling that they're probably staying around longer than we think they will i mean there have been so many um stories i've seen about people with these kind of quick scam nft type things and people getting completely fucked over yeah that's that's the thing that will poison the well for it is that like crypto has by and large uh evolved to the point of not that these kind of scams don't happen but they have managed to be surprisingly resistant to it whereas like 
it doesn't seem like these kind of like it, those things you're describing, Mark. Are have you seen those fucking? Have out. you seen those fucking concerned ape uh, like yeah. NFTs? And I I wonder who is gonna just completely break the the irony scale and try and use the concerned ape images as like a thing in video games. Um, and that may already have already been sold as NFTs at some point. I can see it happening at some point in the future. Um, can you sell the concept yeah. of NFTs as an NFT yet? That is the question. Man, that's that's meta. Yeah, and not Facebook. Um, no. Remember last week when Facebook just shat everyone? Like, oh, that was a fun time, wasn't it? <laughs> Uh, Jack, uh, something that you just put onto the heat there at the last minute. I haven't had time to read over it. Tell us about uh, Comrade Pikachu uh, causing like uh, causing havoc on behalf of yeah. The on purpose, I put this on there because I was like, I don't want to end on a uh, I don't want to end on NFTs and like a negative note. So something that I really enjoyed from this week was um, activists at the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow dressed as Pikachu to protest Japan's support of the coal industry. And so currently Japan ranks sixth in the world for coal consumption, accounting for 18.5% of the world's total consumption, which considering like population size, that's a lot of coal they're still using in Japan. So I was actually, if anything, this, this stunt of using Pokemon, like if you want me to learn something, just add Pokemon to it in some way, shape or form and I'll learn it. Um, but yeah, the country refused to sign a pledge um, announced at the COP26 to, to reduce coal consumption, so they're against it. So protesters, all dressed like Pikachu, held a big banner that says Japan, time to end coal. And there's a lovely picture of like five or six people in these big smiley head Pikachu costumes outside the COP thing. And just of all of the uh, protests and weird stuff that's been going on lately with climate stuff, like the insulate Britain people who seem to have fucked off everybody at this point and all the other various forms of protests. I just like a really nice little banner that says time to end coal and six guys dressed up like Pikachu. And that is a way for me to get a message across to Japan. I, I, I think we are a little bit too late into this show to get into uh, geopolitical debates, but I would imagine. Yes, we are. I would I'm imagine hungry. after everything that happened with uh, Fukushima ten years ago. Oh man, I, I was trying to end on a light note. <laughs> I can't imagine Japan you... get rid of coal anytime soon. You know, it's the Robinson brand to remind us once per show of the yawning maw of total chaos and devoid. <laughs> he's got such a you can't see it listeners but he's got such a big grin on his face right now <laughs> yeah should we actually should we actually replace like instead of platforming prodigy it's the yawning maw of despair <laughs> i do quite enjoy sometimes when you just for no reason it seems just introduce him as old man robinson uh it just <laughs> it just works somehow but yeah i mean it's accurate and also what you said mark is accurate um but yeah i just i like that i like the idea of going to a protest for climate change dressed up as pikachu um that is a great way for for grabbing attention if anything else and can I say, if not one person at this protest had a sign uh, while dressed as Pikachu saying "No more coughings," I <laughs> cowered the lot. <laughs> <laughs> no more coughing, no more wheezing, and just yeah. yeah. Particularly that is it the Alolan evolution with the the stovepipe. Oh house. Yeah. Like, God. You want to talk about carbon footprints <laughs> wow. with the full on like nuclear power plant headpiece on it with the uh, uh, like yeah. a chimney. 
I, it's a good yeah. design. That is is Alolan coughing the 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 answer to the riddle I've just made up. Is like, how do you have a carbon footprint without feet? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> that is the best question you will ever end the show on. So congratulations. Yeah. And let's end it there. On that note, thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Link to the Cast. It's been an absolute pleasure. At Link to the Cast is where you need to follow us on Twitter, keep up to date with the shows as they're posted, to um, chat to us about the content you've been enjoying, the stuff you'd like us to cover, all that jazz. Make sure, and it's not something I say every week, subscribe to us on whatever your podcast platform of preference is. Give us a rating, give us a review. It really helps with the visibility of the show. Um, We want to thank you very much sincerely, guys, as well. Something Mark has been keeping me and uh, Jack um, abreast of lately as the fucking stats man on the pod is we are literally just about to, Mark, no, aren't we've we? we've passed Pro- it. We have we've passed, passed it. it. Yeah. So this has been our most listened to year since we started thank the show you. way back in, can you believe it, 2015. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for that, guys. Uh, we, we really, really do appreciate it. Not only you as listeners and spreading the word about it to whoever you do, but also to all our fine guest hosts who have been on the show over the last year, who I'm sure have helped to no end. It's that Garrett Kidney bump yeah. I'm telling you. And guys. to uh, celebrate that, we've got the Mark Explains Fukushima NFT available for purchase at yeah. Link to the Cards <laughs> sure. on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, so that's at link to the cast individually I'm at the day to day Mark is at Lithium Project Jack is at Jack Lazell uh, ladies and gentlemen that has been another link to the cast we shall see you next week uh, be safe be well and we'll talk to you then bye bye and cold baby